Hello friends, Doug Scheibel here, your free-range podcaster with Ethnos 360. Welcome to the Premature Bible Institute. Trust you've all had a good week. Uh, I have. I've been very busy, but very grateful to be uh, back doing this again, another lesson in that process of understanding who God really is and in all the aspects about him and what he has accomplished for us. Uh, Not because he had to, but simply because he wanted to. And that's part of what we want to understand is understand the gospel of the grace of God. So we're going to talk about that. God is a gracious God, isn't he? He provides all that we need, everything that we can uh, possibly need in order to uh, survive, uh, to enjoy life, generally speaking. Uh, We know because of Adam's sin, we can't enjoy it the way it was originally intended because of that, uh, because of what Adam did. And now that, uh, that nature to sin or to rebel against the creator who knows what's best for us, is now deep-seated within us, and and we are always uh, seeking ways to turn against him, um, sometimes in ways we don't even realize. Uh, but we just want to, and also the consequences of that. You know, he said that man would die, so he's cut off from, man is cut off from the source of his life. Uh, all people, no longer man, male, female, children, adults, makes no difference uh, who you are. We've all been separated from God, and therefore, uh, there are consequences to that. And not only will we eventually die, but just the body starts to decay and everything starts to get uh, um, less and less favorable to living conditions until that day when we actually, the body uh, gives up and, and we die. And, and then we go to whatever eternal state it is. It's been, um, uh, we've chosen that we want to uh, be a part of. And so that's what we're talking about here. But right now we're going through the Old Testament and dealing with those issues and seeing how mankind in general has responded to God. Um, God can always be counted on to act the same, no matter what. And that's part of what this is doing, is showing how God acts in in different situations. And he never changes. He's always the same. He always deals in a way that is consistent with his nature and character. But guess what? So does mankind. So do people. They operate consistent with their nature and character. And, uh, but, um, even though God, uh, like I said, he has, he said he promised that a deliverer would one day come. He also said that there were consequences to those sins. He also told the Israelites that if they, uh, kept uh, the promises that he told them uh, to keep, then he would uh, bless them. But if not, then he would curse them. Then there would be consequences to it. And so we're already finding that out, uh, that, uh, God will bless those who bless him and, and, uh, uh, Israel, it's like he told Abraham that he would bless the people of Israel if they did what he said, uh, but he will also curse them if they don't. So, and by cursing, I don't mean that he just swears at them or anything like that. It's the idea that there are going to be consequences that are not favorable to them and that they would, uh, um, you know, prefer to have a different outcome for their actions. But God is consistent with what he said. So uh, let's see what... Uh, 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 in last week's lesson, just a little bit of review, then we'll go on and see how Israel responds to this next set of circumstances. So Moses was up on the mountain and get, receiving instructions from God. And while he was up there for that 40 days and 40 nights, Israel became impatient, uh, waiting for Moses to come down from that mountain. So the Lord saw their rebellion. He knew what, their rebellion. He knew what was going on in their hearts and their actions. And so uh, because of that, um, God said he was going to destroy Israel. Uh, and he was telling Moses, let me alone. I'm going to destroy them, you know, whatever. 
And Moses pleaded with the Lord to spare them, but not for Israel's sake, but for but for God's sake. Don't let people know. Don't let people see that you would do this, uh, destroy Israel. All they will say is that you brought them out there to destroy them. You were deceiving them in um, in um, Egypt, and uh, all your re- only reason for bringing them out was to destroy them. That's what he's uh, Moses said. People would say, "Well, he really knew that." That wasn't the case. He was just concerned about God's reputation. So <clears throat> what does Moses do? He goes and he receives these uh, commands from the Lord, and these Ten Commandments that are on stone. He goes down and sees the people there, and he breaks those stones in front of him, which was a great picture of them breaking the law. And like uh, the Bible says in other places, that if you offend in, or you break one of the laws, you've broken them all. And so the same way with this, he breaks the Ten Commandments. He didn't uh, literally break each piece off and kept throw broke some of them and left the others alone. If you broke one, you broke the whole set, and that was the whole point. So God, uh, uh, after this t- took place, Moses went back up to God into the clouds again with him, and God gave him new commands. This time Moses uh, cut out the stones and stuff like that, and, and God had him uh, write these Ten Commandments down. So after all of this is done, and uh, uh, Moses has received all the commands on how to build the tabernacle and everything. He comes down and he starts this process of building this tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle wasn't going to be a building like you would see. It would be something that would be um, transportable. It would be something that could be packed up and moved to to another place. And that's what they would do. So uh, um, Israel became... Uh, um, impatient, uh, waiting for Moses to come down. And like I said, he starts this process of building the tabernacle. Now, while he was up there, God said he was going to choose Moses to be a prophet to the people. In other words, as a prophet, he would be the go-between between God and the people of Israel. God would speak to the people, but it would be through Moses. Moses would be his mouthpiece. So, and Moses had to follow instructions very, very carefully. He had to say exactly what God wanted him to say. And so what happens there, he told Moses, he says, listen, uh, I want you to build this tabernacle according to the pattern that you see in heaven. Don't change it. Don't do anything like that. And so um, uh, that's what he's coming down to do. And when this tabernacle is built, God would descend into this tabernacle and be there with him. During the day, it would be a a, uh, a pillar of cloud, uh, cloudy smoke or whatever. And during night, it'd be a pillar of fire and would dwell there. And uh, and whenever um, Israel had to move from one place to the another, the cloud or the pillar or fire would lift up off of the tabernacle and move, and the Israelites would have to follow it. And then when they stopped, then it, whenever it stopped, then they would have to set up the tabernacle and they'd come back and set in the tabernacle. So just to prove that, let's go to Exodus chapter 40 verses 34 through 38, and it says this, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So this is after they get all that done, all the ceremonies been done, God now covers and he fills the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, remember we talked about a little bit last week about the, the or before, about the priesthood, who could go into the most holy place. And so Moses was not allowed to enter in because he wasn't one of the priests. His brother was, Aaron. So, uh, okay, it says, Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. 
But if the cloud was not taken up, and they, uh, then they did not journey till the next day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So for the whole time they would be out there, that's exactly what happened. This, this pillar of cloud or fire uh, would be above the tabernacle there. And when it moved, uh, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped. So it was directing them on what they wanted to do. Um, so uh, they are getting ready to, you know, God wanted to remember uh, his promise to Abraham. He was going to bring the Israelites back to Canaan, to the promised land. And so they come up to the uh, to the promised land, to Canaan. This isn't very long after they've left Egypt either, by the way. And so he instructs them, uh, makes them some instructions about going into the land. First, he wants 12 spies to go over and look at the land. Now, God knew what the land was like, but he wanted the people to see it for themselves. All right? Um, in Genesis uh, chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, remember what he said to Abraham? Now as for you, talking about Abraham, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. So Abraham is getting ready to die there, and he's telling him this. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, talking about Israel, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So the Amorites who had been living there, God had been giving them 400 years in order to change and to repent of what they had done, but they hadn't done it. So now he's going to go in. He says, I want you to go in. I want you to take possession of this land. Now, does God uh, own the land of Canaan or do the, to the Amorites or the Canaanites? No, God owns it because he's the creator. He has the right to do with it. Can he give it to whomever he wants? Yes, he can. He's the owner. Who did the Amorites take the land from? You see, we all think that everybody who lives in a land are the original people. I mean, we see that in, in America. We're not the original, but the Native Americans aren't the original people. They were just the ones before us. Who did they take it from? Or if they did? Or if you're in South America, different places where they had wars with different countries, who took over what possession of land? The original manager of the land was Adam. He was the original, Adam and Eve. And they were to manage the earth. And then everything went uh, south from that point on. So mankind by nature has been striving to possess land, own it, and others have taken it away from him. So in, it's just the way it is. Uh, that's the nature of people. Um, so Amorites probably took it from somebody else, but that's okay. And then what did Moses do as a result of this? He obeyed God. So we go to Numbers chapter 17, verses 1 through 3, and then verses 17 through 20. So let's read this, 1 through 3. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel, from each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. In other words, each tribe of the tribe of Israel, all the twelve sons, their names, there was to be one representative from each one of those tribes that was to be one of the spies to go into the land. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the children of Israel. So that's the command. God tells him to do that. Moses did it. He obeyed God doing what he told him to do. Then it says this in verse 17. Then uh, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds. 
whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests there or not. Be of, good, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season for the first ripe grapes. So what Moses is telling the people to do is, I want you to go into the land and you give me an honest report of what it's like. All the good, all the bad, everything, you know. Just tell us the truth about what you see, okay? So, uh, 12 spies uh, decided to uh, return to that land, and uh, they were to scout it out. And they were there for 40 days, all right, uh, searching this whole land down. Now, did God help, need their help to know what the land was like? Well, of course not. He knows everything. So he, But he wanted the people to see it with their own eyes and come back and give a report on what they, on, uh, what they saw. He wanted them to see the land and trust him to deliver that land into their hands, all right? So what was the result? <clears throat> uh, Numbers 13, verses 21 through 25 says this. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Ahinim, or Hyman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Let me read that again, that last part. Then they went up from the south and came to Hebron. Okay, now it says this. Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now, those descendants of Anak were really big people, really tall, really strong. They were just, everybody was very scared because they were like giants. Uh, now, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eskol, and there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. Now, imagine, one cluster of grapes was had to be carried by two men on a pole. That's a lot of grapes, so this thing is really producing. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. Uh, the place was called the Valley of Eskol because... Uh, of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there, and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So these spies go into the land, they check all the land out all over the place, they saw people there, they saw the, uh, the all kinds of people that were there, and now after 40 days they return, and they've got this big cluster of grapes that are just so big, and they I, the people probably couldn't have believed how how this was compared to Egypt. It must have been beautiful to see all that. So, God sent them in there to bring back an honest report. Now we're going to uh, see what their report was, okay? Um, Numbers 13, verses 26 through 29. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is uh, this is its fruit. So, in other words, they uh, they told them about what they saw, and it was really a wonderful place. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So up to this point, it's an honest report. They told them everything. They said, man, this place is just full of good food. Uh, we, we will prosper there like nobody's business. But, they says, nevertheless, there are these big guys there, these giants, these uh, 
uh, sons of Anak that are there, or descendants of Anak, I should say, uh, they're there. And so that's something, uh, anyway, that's what they said. They told them that they were there. They told them where the Amalekites were. They told them where the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites were, and all that, and the Canaanites. And they told them where all they're at. So everything up to this point is no problem. They told them. Uh, everything that they reported was true. <clears throat> and then Caleb and Joshua, who were two of the spies, uh, they said this, and Caleb quieted the people before Moses. In other words, there was probably a murmuring about whatever they were talking about. And Caleb calmed everybody down, quieted them, and said this, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. In other words, Caleb saying, God said we could go, let's go. No problem. You know, that's what he's really telling the people. We can take this place. It's no problem whatsoever. All right? When the people heard their uh, report, it made them afraid. But Caleb, he kind of calmed everybody down and gave them an accurate view of the situation. Now, see, there's a difference. What the guys, the spies came back and told was an accurate report. But now we're going to start getting into the evaluation of what they saw. Caleb and Joshua, you'll find out later, they said, man, go for it. You know, that's their evaluation. Let's take this land. God said we could take it. We'll take it. Okay, Caleb did not fear the Canaanites. He trusted God. That's what he was looking at. Joshua did also, uh, even though right here in this particular verse I mentioned, it didn't mention his name, but it does later on. Uh, so that so Caleb and Joshua gave their report, and this that's what they said. Take it. Go for it. Let's go after it. In other words, sick them. And so, uh, but the other 10 spies, now they gave a different report. And here's what theirs are, verses 31 through 33. But the, the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the, the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anna, came, uh, they came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we, and so we were in their sight. So here's what they said. The ten spies, they feared the Canaanites more than they feared God. And as a result, their actions uh, were guided by fear rather than by God and who God was. They had forgotten already God had sent the plagues to the Egyptians. They saw all those plagues that God had brought. God had delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. They'd forgotten that. God had led them through the Red Sea. They forgot all that. Uh, God had drowned the entire Egyptian army in the Red Sea. They kind of forgot that. God had provided manna, quail, and water while they were in the wilderness on their way to this point. So God was providing everything, deliverance, food, uh, everything, uh, water, and so they were sitting down and they just kind of threw all that to the side to think about, oh, man, these big guys, I, this, is, this is too much for us. Um, the 10 spies were trusting in their own abilities. That's why they couldn't ever win. See, they knew that if it was up to us to win, we couldn't do it. But they weren't willing to say, but we could because God, you know, but God. They couldn't get to that point. Uh, Joshua and Caleb were trusting in God's abilities. The Israelites, were the ten other ten spies, were trusting in their own abilities. Joshua and Caleb had the proper perspective. The other ten spies did not. They had their own perspective. And there's a good way to remember this incident. I remember years ago a sermon on this and said, uh, I like this. Ten said no, 
to set go. And that's a good way to remember it. That kind of applies to missionary work. You'll probably find 10 people that will say no, but every once in a while you'll find two that will say go. Be one of the two. That's what you want to do. So what was Israel's response to the situation? Had they learned their lesson now that Joshua and Caleb had given them the good report and the other 10 spies had given them the bad report? Let's see how Israel responded to those. So uh, Numbers 14, 1 through 10 say this. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Now keep that in mind, so that our wives and children may, might become victims. Um, in other words, slaves are owners, uh, being owned by those people. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. So now they're not only rejecting what God wanted them to do, they're rejecting God's leadership uh, through Moses, through Joshua and Caleb, rejecting what uh, Joshua and Caleb said, and just they're basically just calling God a liar. Okay, then Moses, what did Moses and Aaron do as a result of this? Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among uh, those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So Joshua and Caleb saying, man, get them. The Lord's on our side, and if God is for us, who can be against us? So what was Israel's response to uh, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb? <laughs> they rejected him. Uh, Israel had a very, very small view of God. They had enough view of him that they referred to him as the Lord, but they didn't have a big enough view to understand what the Lord meant. The all-present one, the omnipresent one, the omniscient, omnipotent, the eternal God. <clears throat> they had a very, very tiny view of who this person was. He was just somebody that was there, kind of, you know, maybe they were deistic in that way. They just said, yeah, God started all out, but he's kind of left us to our own devices. So what did Israel, how did Israel respond to what Joshua and Caleb just got through saying. Verse 10 says, And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. So all these people were going to get ready to stone them, kill Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. You know, and do their own thing. At that moment, then the, this glory of the Lord comes down to the tabernacle and appears at the tabernacle of meeting uh, before everybody. So they all saw this happening. So Israel's thoughts about God was that, here's what Israel was really thinking, that God's promise to Abraham was irrelevant. It wasn't going to work. He didn't mean what he said. Uh, and so what did they do? They decided to rebel against him once again. Man, do they ever learn their lesson? Do, do people ever learn their lessons? So Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, they believed God, all right? Israel did not believe God. And then what they didn't understand was that God cannot lie. God cannot 
go against his nature and character. So what was God's response to uh, Israel's unbelief? How did God respond to all of this? Okay, knowing God's nature and character, what would you think? And here's what it says here, Numbers 14, verses 26 through 32. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. Of uh, all of you who uh, were numbered, according to your entire number, from 20 years old and above. So what he is saying here is that he is going nobody except those that are 19 years and under are ever going to enter into the promised land. Nobody from 20 years old up is going to make it. Uh, and you'll find out here, it says this, verse 30, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You shall, be no, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore to make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. So remember what they said, oh man, it's bad that you brought us, so why, should, why would our wives and children be the ones that are going to enter, uh, not make it into the land? So what he said, okay, because of that, now your children, the thing you feared is not going to happen. And the thing you didn't fear is going to happen. Okay, you didn't fear me, so therefore you're going to die in this wilderness. But the thing you feared that our children would become slaves and be owned by these people, that is going to, they're going to enter into this land and they're going to take possession of it. But you guys never will, except for Joshua and Caleb. They, will, they believe God, therefore they're going to make it into the promised land. All right? Um, so God came down and appeared to them in the tabernacle. Uh, and he wouldn't allow them to... Uh, the Israelites to enter the promised land except those that were under the age of 20 and only Joshua and Caleb would make it there. Um, all through this process here, in essence, what they're doing is saying God is a liar. He didn't mean what he said. Someone who did not believe, there are some people who did not believe God throughout history. Adam and, I, Adam and Eve did not believe God when he said they would die if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, he, uh, Cain did not believe God when he brought produce from his garden as an offering to the Lord. He didn't believe that he was supposed to come to God in the way God had prescribed. The people of Noah's day did not believe that God would send a flood and destroy the earth. The Egyptians did not believe God, even though he brought 10 plagues on that country and just basically wiped the country out. They had nothing when the Israelites left. Um, the Israelites continued not to believe God, even though he had done all those wonderful miracles in their sight. They saw him with their own eyes. They still didn't believe it. And he provided for them all the way on their trip to Canaan. So that's an amazing thing to think about. So in conclusion, you know, God does not desire to punish anyone. That's not his goal. That's not his objective. We know that the scriptures say that he doesn't, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you've heard me read that passage in Ezekiel 33 where he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, you know, but that the wicked turn from his evil way. That's what he wants. Um, and people keep over and over and over rejecting God and what he wants. It's uh, always pretty amazing. God wants us as people and wanted the Israelites to come to him, admitting that they were sinners in need of a deliverer, a savior who would come uh, one day. 
Israel thought they could determine their own future. Hey, let's not worry about uh, Canaan. Let's get uh, another leader and head back to Egypt and put ourselves in subjection once again. Uh, But God would not allow them to do that. He will not allow people to determine the consequences of their own decisions. You and I can make decisions, good, bad, all different ones. But what we can't do is choose the consequences of those decisions. That's up to God and God alone. Um, So, And God provided a way uh, uh, for people to be able to approach him until the deliverer would come. And the way was through the tabernacle and through uh, the priesthood. People would come to, wanted to come to God to have sins paid for. They would have to do it according to the, all the rules that God had set up in order to take care of the sin issue. So the question you and I need to ask ourselves is who are we going to be like? Are we going to be like Moses and Joshua and Caleb? Or are we going to be like the rest of the Israelites and just keep turning our back on God? Well, we'll make mistakes. Even if we choose to follow God, we still will make mistakes. But that's all right. That's what the tabernacle was for in the Old Testament. The tabernacle was for people who did make these mistakes. It's sin. And they could come back and have that relationship with God, that fellowship with God, by coming back and doing the things that God wanted them to do. And knowing that one day a deliverer would be the one to take away. And they would know, probably anyway, at least at this point, although I'm not absolutely positive, they knew that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. We know that because Moses knew that, and he wrote about it. So the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away their sin, but what it would do is hold off God's wrath against sin until the deliverer came. All right? So we want to be like Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, don't we? I trust you do. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And remember, if you have any friends that want to listen to this, get, have them get on their favorite podcast app, subscribe to my podcast, which is the Premature Bible Institute. And if they want to listen to a video podcast of it on YouTube, get on YouTube and subscribe, uh, have them subscribe. And you do it too if you want to. Uh, Subscribe to, um, it's just my name, Doug Scheibel, D-O-U-G, and then my last name, S-C-H-A-I-B-L-E. And uh, and do it that way. Uh, Doug and Scheibel are two different words. You all take care. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye.